0: Wanna move. I'll just sit here in my living room and see what's on the tube
1: while I'm hanging out with you. Okay. So, um, we were talking about wheel cells and basically what they do. Um, they serve support function. That's that's their job. They, as they say here to keep your brain running on time. That's kind of trying to be trying to be clever and uh, clearly not. Um if you get a really deep cut, you'll get, and then I'm talking about you know your arm, your leg, whatever, you'll get paralysis because you don't have, um, you can't send information anymore. Nerves are cut, right? So old, now let's just pretend we're talking about one neuron right now, rather than a whole bunch of them. But it would be the same for a whole bunch of them. The old axon dies, OK? It's not attached to a neuron anymore. It dies. Um, Microglia and Schwann cells go into the pathway and they clear the way out. They basically, what microglia do is they go in, they in essence they eat the old axon. Bagacytosis, right? They just ran it and ingest it. So here, if we're talking about Schwann cells, we're talking peripheral. Right? So you get this new neural growth. But first thing you gotta have to get out the old dead stuff the neuron now sprouts and it finds the path Okay, so the old axon has been removed the neuron sprouts and it finds the path which I think is kind of cool so The neuron itself hasn't died; part of the neuron has died. Now that's in the PNS. It's too bad this doesn't happen in the CNS because if you get brain damage, it doesn't get fixed, right? Um, What glial cells do in in the central nervous system is they just seal off the injury. They do get rid of the old stuff, but the neuron doesn't spread. The, you know, the interesting thing is, the neuron wants to spread. The pre-programmed thing here is that it will spread, an axon. But they don't spread. Why not? Because of a, uh, a protein that's released that stops sprouting. Oh, no <coughs> go, which is pretty clever. It's a kind of um, protein uh, and it's in a family of proteins called reticulon 4, which sounds like a a planet in mass effect. Um, But it's just in this category of proteins, and what it does is it stops it inhibits uh, normal spread. I've been asked many times what is the function of this? Why is it because we know how it works. We know that this, chemo- that this, that this, this protein is synthesized, it's released, and there's a protein receptor, and it, this whole kind of reaction, blah, blah, blah. And when it, eventually, what ends up happening is you get no spreading of the neurons. Like, why? Why functionally does this happen? Causally, we get it. Functionally, why? And I can't think of an answer. I can probably make something up. But I can't think of a good reason why we don't get new neurons. Replacing old ones in the CNS. The only thing I can think of is that the CNS is so idiosyncratic, uh, like each individual's wiring is somewhat different from everybody else, that it would be very difficult to do. But that doesn't seem like a good answer. Mm-hmm. So I can't I can't come up with a good functional reason why this happens, but it happens. And of course, this is also gonna happen in your spinal column I'm talking, CNS. This is why, for example, if you break your spinal column, you're gonna be paralyzed probably forever. Now there has actually been some success in rats and in monkeys blocking no go. The problem is you've got to block no go forever. Like you got to, the whole time while the healing happens. The other thing that's blocked it is using, uh, and stem cells uh, is another idea fetal stem cells. Because fetal stem cells in the brain aren't affected by no go, right? Because they're not differentiated yet. And you probably know this about stem cells. If I take fetal stem cells and I put them in any part of your brain, let's say if they were uh, neuroblasts, they're just going to grow in the right kind of nerve, develop in the right sort of neuron. Um, carbon microtubules are maybe the most effective thing to work in. So these are these really, really super thin tubes. This is obviously going to be sort of biotech uh, engineering angle here. This is not, I mean, it's medicine, too, but a lot of this is engineering. So what you're going to do, in fact, is if you're going to reconnect in the spinal column, what you're going to do is you're going to implant a whole bunch of little tubes that are impermeable to no-go. And then the neurons themselves will sprout because they aren't getting any no-go, because they're encased in a series of tubes. See what I did there? And it's going to go down and growth of the little tubes. And you'd need you'd need probably hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of these tubes. So what you would need are little you would need little machines, in essence, that would build the tubes. And that may sound far off, but that's not nearly as far off as you might be. That's something that within fifteen years that would be enough treatment that'll be uh, tested, I would imagine. Because these would be, they would be machines that would be doing this using something comparable to how it's working. It's going come. So one day people, when they break their back, it'll hurt but they'll walk in. But, or when they have a really severe damage to the central nervous system. Now, when you're talking up in your brain, that's still going to be a long ways off. Because re- rewiring that thing is a lot more complicated than rewiring, you know, dorsal and ventral root in your spinal cord. And especially if you had a really clean break, you might be able to do that relatively simple. So there's been some success there, and it's getting better and better. A lot of that research ended up being funded, by the way, by Christopher Reed, the guy who played Superman, who was kind of broke his neck about 15 years ago, died a couple years ago. But he funded a bunch of that stuff, too. He funded basic science, which is quite fun- okay, cool. Good on I just like saying we're taking one for it. Okay, elements. Not a Honda element. (coughs) So we got our car here. Now, there are various elements, of course, in your nervous system that, by the way, if you look, John looks like he's like. Like that. I don't know why. (laughs) These things can all act as transmitters. We'll talk about what makes something act as a transmitter later in the course. But these things can all act as transmitters, uh, or a lot of them can. Also, they're, they're the concentrations of these elements during development can guide growth of the nervous system. Uh, so, there's a whole bunch of them. Some of them shouldn't surprise you. Uh, hydrogen, carbon, yeah, I think we're alive and all. Oxygen, there's a big surprise, what with the breathing. Uh, nitrogen, again, shouldn't surprise you. Calcium, calcium channels are really important. We'll talk about that. Uh, oh, sorry, I missed that one. Uh, phosphorus, potassium. Yes, that's right, if you don't know the what... periodic table, A is potassium, not potassium. Uh, sulfur, <laughs> sodium. Nah. Now, so, sodium is a really important one. We'll talk a lot about sodium, i will talk a lot about potassium different amounts of sodium and potassium uh, and also calcium and chlorine are really, and a lot of you guys probably know about it, sodium potassium pumps, things like that. That's what really makes this thing run. Okay. So the different concentrations of those elements are what makes this stuff run, makes this whole unit work. Don't worry too much about them. Uh, right now, I will talk later on when we talk about all these different things the we'll talk about development. Talk about sort of potassium pumps. Obviously, we'll talk about these. Why don't we talk about neurotransmitters? Uh, nitrogen, for example, and nitric oxide and nitrous oxide can act as uh, uh, as actual transmitters. Just simple molecules. All right. Now, this is some stuff that a lot of you guys know. If you don't, just, you know, you, you actually all learned this stuff in, in high school, unless they've radically changed the teaching in high school since I was in high school. Like, y'all learned some cellular anatomy in high school, right? Everybody does some of this stuff. So, I mean, the nucleus, it's the middle, where the genes live. It's the chromosomes, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Um, Important parts here, mitochondria, a lot of times you'll see, now, a neuron is going to have, very often, many mitochondria. um, Because it's using so much energy, so it's converting glucose to ATP, right? And... You're going to have a lot of mitochondria in a neuron. That shouldn't surprise you. It's using a lot of your uh, glucose, a lot of your oxygen. So that shouldn't be very surprising. Uh, let's see. What are other important bits here? Microtubules. What these things do? Uh, the neurotransmitters themselves typically are coded up in the nucleus by DNA, right? RNA. And so neurotransmitters are just proteins, just molecules that are built. And then they, they go down the microtubules, down to the terminal button. And they sit there in these things called vesicles, ready to be released when the neuron fires. OK? Yeah, there's obviously the beginning of the axon. So there's your axon hillock right here. These are all dendrites, right? And this is my excuse me, this is myelin right here. <coughs> there's dendritic spines, these little guys here. And there's dendrites, you know, don't. So, I wouldn't, you know, I don't get too worked up about this. It's all stuff, you know, the, the key things, nucleus, microtubules, uh, we don't see vesicles there that are at the very end of the, the terminal button and mitochondria. All right. So let's shift gears now. We talked about, about um, cells. We can relate this and talk about genes, cells, proteins, and behavior. Now, on a macro level, we can talk about this. First of all, we get a little micro as well. This is a wonderful quote. Trying to determine how much of a behavior is due to genetics and how much is due to the environment. It's like trying to determine how much of the area of a field is caused by its length and how much is caused by its width. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's a wonderful quote. It's also the nice thing here. It's a Canadian quote. It was from Donald Hebb at the Montreal Neurological Institute. (coughs) Donald Hebb's important enough that the building the psychology department at McGill is called the Hebb Building. The award for distinguished experimental psychology, psychology career in Canada is called the Hebb Award. Donald Hebb is a pretty important guy. You will hear later in the course we talk about Hebb synapses. You will hear later that we don't want to talk about cell assemblies the other day. Oh, that was also his idea. A lot of these things, by he didn't have like electron microscopes because they weren't around. He was really smart. And he was at the Montreal Neurological Institute. So some nice Canadian content there. By the way, if you want to know where that is, if you ever watch a Montreal Alouette game on TV, you see Molson Stadium in the West End Zone? At the Montreal Neurological Institute. I always thought I would do it a postdoc there when I was... Because I thought I could just get free tickets to All the wetscapes. i just sit there in the lab watching a football game. Not right about the science, I just wanted free football. Yeah, I wanted to get free CFL football tickets because they're at least 15 bucks a seat. Postdocs don't make a lot of money so this is a wonderful thing because what is this telling us? This is telling us that people getting worked up over is that caused by an environmental factor or is that caused by a genetic factor should stop worrying so much. It's telling us that nature versus nurture is a stupid waste of your time. People have made whole careers saying it's all nature, it's all nurture. I think you're all stupid. Not none Not you guys. Well, some, some I got a questioning questioning a few, but the point here is that you can't have an environment without that, that matters at all without there being any genes there. If we have an environment on its own, yeah, sure we can, but. If there's no life, who gives a crap, right? So if there's no life on, uh, I'm still hoping there's life on Mars. So let's say if there's no life on, well, let's go with the moon. That's an environment, not what there, but it's an environment. Who cares? Yeah, it's cool that there's a moon because you can go there and, and small step for man and all that. But it doesn't matter. If there's no environment, there can't be any genes either, right? And genes affect environments, and environments affect genes. They can't not. Genes affect environments, and environments affect genes. And a lot of you biology students know about this stuff already, where, you know, uh, a certain change in some environmental variable will trigger a protein to be synthesized which will turn on one gene and turn off two others which will then cause the secretion of something which now changes the environment I've heard it said for example that what the environment does is it just sets so what genes do is they set a limit on what can be attained and then the environment is what fills it in that's what you like to call a simplistic wrong view. If things aren't that simple. It's kind of too bad that they work because that's easy to understand. The genes make the glass and then the environment fills it up with delicious experience. But it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. It's nice and easy. It actually makes us all feel kind of good too. It doesn't it? Because that means that most of the differences between us are caused by what? Well, caused by the fact that there are differences in environments, yeah, it's, it makes you feel like, that feels good, doesn't it? Because it fits nicely with our nice Western liberal viewpoints, doesn't it? it just throngs all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, some people are smarter than others. It's the way it is. Some people can run faster than other people. And this is always a combination of genes and the environment. Can we talk, however, about the amount of variance accounted for, but by variance in environment? Yes. Can we talk about the amount of variance accounted for by variance of genes? Yes. That's, that's fine. But remember, that's mostly a statistical argument. Saying there's no effect of, 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 of genes is stupid. Saying there's no effect of environment is stupid. That's just being stupid. It's Or simplistic. You know, or people thinking, Oh, I don't think they're sophisticated enough to understand this. I don't know what those were when I was doing there. <laughs> what is this? So, this is an important concept to me. Because what it's saying is that we can't ignore genes. We can't ignore the environment. We can't. Okay? Questions or comments about that? It may fly in the face of what you've heard in other classes. Those people are wrong. Which, of course, by saying that, I totally stifle all the discussion, which is kind of awesome. All right. Some key terms a lot of you guys will know these. You're not going to get tested on these. Okay? I just want to tell you some of these terms so you know them. A gene, uh, there's two ways to define gene. Gene is the smallest unit of heritability, okay? That's uh, an operational definition kind of way to define gene. The other way, uh, you can actually define genes, and some of you guys know this, probably biology students, that when you look at the, 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 the sequence of C, T's, A's, and G's, there are sequences that say start and ones that say stop for a gene. And that is also, that, and that piece of genetic material is a gene. So you can define it either way. Your genotype is the sum of your genes. It's all the genes you have and uh, did that twice, that's weird. Phenotype is your outward characteristics, including your behavior. A chromosome, um, like, you it's know, a bunch of genes. <laughs> it's an easy way to, I mean I don't worry too much about it, it's when you see it, you usually have pairs of chromosomes, right? except in sex cells where you have one of each. A locus is a place on a gene. So you can talk about a certain locus, which is you know usually where a mutation is when you mention a locus. An allele is an alternate form of a gene. So, well, if we didn't have all alternate forms of most of the same genes, we would all look exactly the same, wouldn't we? But we don't. Uh, Cells can be diploid or haploid. A diploid cell is the typical one you've learned about in your life, which is the one that has pairs of chromosomes. So it has two alleles, one of each, uh, one, one, yeah. Two versions of each gene, two alleles of each gene. Sometimes the same allele. A haploid cell only has one of each. So a human diploid cell, most of the cells in your body have 46 chromosomes, so 23 pairs, but... A sex cell, or a gamete, has only 23 chromosomes, right? Now, that's true in most animals. I don't know about plants. I don't care. I don't know what Shamp says. Plants are stupid and boring. But (laughs) I'm pretty sure it works the same. The interesting thing (coughs) is here that there are animals that are haploid. Yeah. Uh, bees, ants, male bees, ants, and wasps are half life They aren't different. It's, it's crazy. They're just—it's crazy. You want to learn about that? You should take uh, psychology thirty-one hundred six, animal behavior, next year. Why? It's fun. Bees, ants, naked mole rats. monkey Even people now and then. But our gametes, our sex cells, only have one uh, copy of each When mommy and daddy really like each other and their gametes come together, they make a zygote. How is Babby formed? <laughs> no way that's that? Okay. After class, Google, how is Babby formed? couple You have to spell like that too. Babby. Uh, genes can be recessive or alleles and dominant, right? Now, this is the classic example here of blue eyes and green eyes. Because, oh, sorry, blue eyes and brown eyes. Green eyes confuse me. <laughs> blue, blue eyes and brown eyes. The brown allele, which we, know, in notation, you know, just a capital letter for the, for the uh, dominant one. If you have, if your genotype is like, maybe I'll do this on the what? <laughs> Let's just do that. And then do that. I hate the way that thing sounds. It sounds like it's in like a rack and they're in the Spanish Inquisition. Maybe just to me. So most of you guys know this, but to review this, that leads to blue eye of brown eyes, idiot. <laughs> that leads to blue eyes. And remember, you have two copies—one from mom, one from dad, right? And again, I know most of you know this, but just to review. So, if you've got this, you get brown eyes. We're going to list father on the left, okay? So, if you get—if you—if that's your genome, you get brown eyes. If that's your genome, you've got brown eyes. That's your genome. You have got blue <laughs> eyes, right? They should tell you something. The two blue eyed parents have a brown eyed child. Nope. Can they adopt one? Yes. And that is your happy explanation if that's the situation you're in. Because there's another one. Okay? That's all I'm saying. And you know what I would do if I was you? I would say to myself, I don't think I'm going to ask that question. I think I'm going to leave Because the... either they've made peace with that. Or dad doesn't know Why? he seems happy. Right? Because see, mom would know. We know where the baby we know baby came from mom. We don't know who dad is, we can't. Well without a, a DNA test and then you come on Mori and your throat things. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the classic dominant recessive relationship, right? That's the classic dominant recessive relationship that Give all, I'm sure, learn about it. Yeah. Sources. <coughs> okay. It just sounds awful, doesn't it? It's a horrible device. Like the one in Princess Bride that sucks the life out of you? Right? It sounds like that. He's just mostly dead. Alright. So that's dominance recessive. Uh, a lot of genes work that way. Not all of them. Sometimes you have a partial dominance where you get something sort of in the middle. Um, so you can be homozygous or heterozygous for a gene. Uh, for an allele homozygous means you have two of the same, so you've got two brown, two bees for big bees for brown, two little bees for blue. Uh, if you've got a little bit of you got one of each, that's heterozygous. Generally, by the way, heterozygosity, uh, which is a great word, is superior to, superior to homozygosity. <clears throat> Don't go to they have brown eyes, It probably it's two or three chance, that I've my superior. That's, no, that's not what I said, you twit. <laughs> I said that generally it's better because when you mate, chances are you get more variation in your kids. That's all that means. That's why it's superior. But there's other reasons, too. Uh, we'll talk about Okay, this is all stuffy problem. Okay, I'm not going to ask you this. You learned this in grade 10. and You were tested on it in grade 10. And if you didn't get it in grade 10, it's not my problem. Okay, just meiosis basically going from one cell down to four daughter cells. But notice something. We end up with, when we split off, we don't have like... This cell has father DNA. This cell has mother DNA. It's split up. Right? And you know this. I'm sure you know. Because if it was like that, you'd look exactly like your brother or exactly like your sister. Right? Or chances would be. Okay. So I'm just going to you. Now, you notice that combination thing, like I'm talking about, where some from, from this chromosome and some from this one they, they sort of cross over in fact I believe it's not just called sort of crossing over it's called crossing over and they recombine that recombination is, is pretty much the source of a lot of the uh, genetic variation in, in everything but the really simplest of organisms okay so the, why is that there? Uh, evolutionarily well at leads to greater variation. Variation is good. If there's any change in the environment, more likely you're going to have something that survives. Mutation is pretty much the only source of new genetic material. Yes, I know about epigenetics, but the only significant source of new genetic material. Um, most mutations, when there's copies made, are lethal. These are pretty finely tuned machines as you can see from my Schwarzenegger-like physique. Um, So most mutations actually will kill you. And in fact, most cases of when when women lose a baby, when it's really early term, like in the first trimester, that's usually, or even less than the first trimester, first week or two. Most women have been, you know, they're trying to have kids, have been pregnant before and they've lost a kid and they don't even know. Right? Because it's less than a month. And it's that there's there's a lethal mutation, Okay. Some mutations are neutral. They don't have any effect at all. There's a lot of the, um, a lot of our genome doesn't seem to do a whole lot. Introns, they're called. There's like extra DNA. Mutations there probably aren't going to affect us horribly. Right? They're going to be probably neutral. Some, a very small amount conferred advantage, and things get selected for. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Okay, and again, that's uh, mostly both. Any questions? You're good. Okay. Now you get half your genes from your mom, half from your dad. Now, single genes can affect the characteristic. Now, that characteristic might be behavioral. That characteristic might be physical, often it could be both. The, the, the behavioral characteristic might be direct and it might be indirect. Now also it's the case that many genes can affect the characteristic, and we're talking about behavior, we're very often talking about this. We're talking about many, many genes coming together. Something like, for example, human IQ scores. Uh, the heritability of your IQ score is about 0.6. So 60% of the variation in, in, in IQ of children is made up of variation of IQ in parents' <clears throat> genome. So it's 60% heritable. There isn't just one gene, and there are a whole bunch of different alleles called SMART, kind of medium, and then dumb. It doesn't work that way. right? It's a whole bunch of genes that are affecting your intelligence. Also, clearly, a whole bunch of environmental effects there. So typically, we're talking about complicated human things like our ability, uh, cognitive abilities, things like that. We're talking about something where many genes are coming together. It's also the case with many different um, disorders, too. So you think about something like autism. It's not a single gene. If it was a single gene, we'd we know it by now. It's a whole bunch of genes and an environmental effects coming together. Right. There are cases where things are single genes. and there are, but there are fewer. And remember, it's always interaction between genes and the environment. Okay? Okay, What happens? Okay, here's an example. And the example I'm going to use is about myself. I have a disorder called human ocular cutaneous albinism. What that means is I don't make pigment in my skin or my hair or my eyes. My hair is clear, it actually is, so if you look at a microscope my hair's clear. On my, on my passport it says blonde, because being a smartass with your passport, I mean, yeah, but it's actually technically clear. If you were to look at my hair under a microscope, you know, that gets you go to Gitmo for crap like that. So, and I don't have any pigment on my skin, um, which is why it's this really, I think, lovely alabaster color. <laughs> And I don't have any pink in my eyes. Now you might say, but Dave, I've noticed your steely blue eyes. And I'll say, thank you, and you're creeping me out. <laughs> but um, that's just because of the shape of my iris. And it just ends up reflecting blue light. If they were shaped like the same way a rabbit's iris are shaped, my eyes would be pink. Because all you would see would be the retina at the back of my eye. This is actually the case where two parents that have that have BB, both brown, can have a blue-eyed kid. It's the one case, but you have to also have albinism. Now there is something called ocular albinism, which is only in your eyes. Um, that does happen. Okay. There's a single gene. It's actually not for the production of melanin. Melanin is the yeah. Please. Um, can you? You said with brown eyes. You're, you mean like both two, brown two two big B's Two big B's yeah. yeah. So like you can have two brown eyed parents. Oh yeah, them. of course, because you can have they could be big B, little B or little B big B. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, don't I am trying to figure anybody out there. That's it. You somehow knew your parents' actual whole genome, both big, big B's Yeah. You're all going, Oh my god, you my parents were screwing around running old bike. <laughs> <laughs> Which one's worse? Okay. So the gene actually is that melanin's the pigment. That's what gives your hair. That just gives the rest of you bastards nice looking hair and skin. You know how lucky you are, because I don't. I just get sunburns. It's hard to tan without melanin. It Doesn't really work very well. And I say bastards in the most pleasant way. So the gene actually isn't for producing melanin. It's for producing um, an enzyme called tyrosinase that breaks down tyrosine. And tyrosine is part, one of the constituents of melanin. So I don't have, I don't make enough tyrosinase. I make a little tiny bit, but so little that it doesn't matter. I think it's about one-tenth to one percent of what you make. So there is a little tiny bit of pigment. You'll notice I have a couple of freckles, things like that. But that's, yeah, i got pigment there. <laughs> no, that's about it. Huh? Okay. So in essence, it's, it's for producing melanin. It's actually, it's, it's a one step removed from producing melanin. But it's, it's like that. Okay. So let's just call the, the, the uh, genes big A and little a. And big A's normal, and yes, I use the word normal and it doesn't bother me. I'm not normal. Normal is a statistical concept, it means the most common pejorative in any way. And it's about me, so I can say I'm abnormal all I want. I think you're offensive. Well, get it. Okay. How about that? Anything else different? Still get it. But I'm just having fun, I'm kidding. I kid because I love. <laughs> little a is bad you get, you don't make thyrosinates ok so it's a pure dominance recessive relationship ok it's a pure dominance recessive relationship um, all these genomes lead to a normal phenotypically normal person and two little a's lead to me ok so two little a's lead to me So if you've got big A, little A, or little A, big A, no, it doesn't matter. Your tyrosinase production is fine. Everything about you is going to be fine. Nothing gets affected. But if you've got two bad copies, like I do, thanks, mom and dad, you end up being the object of people teasing you until you're about 18. Well, what happened? Kind of showed them, though, <laughs> how many degrees did those people have? <laughs> so there's my mom and dad. And I miss my father every goddamn day. Dad died five years ago. <sighs> Damn it. So Leslie and Rick, Leslie's on the right. I don't know why I have that backwards.
0: Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, people always said Leslie and Rick, not Rick and I don't know. It's they take on their checks. It said Leslie and Rick Rodbeck. Now, we know that they must be, because they had me, be some variation of Big A and Little A. Okay? They must be some variation. But they're phenotypically normal. In many respects, my father had the very intense version of everything. But he was phenotypically normal. Especially missing when hockey season starts. There's mom and dad. That's about 10 years ago. So they have a one in four chance that i having a kid with little a, little a. Right? Because remember, the genes split off. The genes split off. And they did on June twenty third, 1965. My genotype must be little a, little a, because just, look at me. And there's no dominance relationship, so my, my can't be little a big a. And right, so there I am, now I'm the one on the left. <laughs> that's me and two kids, and I, no one knows who they are. <laughs> no one knows who they are. I asked my mom, and she said, I don't know, I think they lived down the hall. We in the, I was actually born here, but I moved away a long time, like, when I was two. Um, that's in those apartments by um, Churchill Plaza, just across the street there. They were brand new. In 1964, my, when my parents moved here, and they were expensive. You know how much the rent was? It was ninety-four dollars a month. So, which is a lot of money, considering my dad told me about you know he cigarettes were eleven cents a pack. So, it's a good chunk of change. That kid looks just confused. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who, that's a girl I think probably that looks like probably a boy, I'm looking, I don't even know where to look you see that? Like, I don't know honey, you're going over there somewhere and I'm about, I'm not too there I've been wearing glasses since I was 18 months old I used to stand on the balcony I've you know read about <coughs> Galileo I just throw them off you think you look at that and you say Dave's got trendy hipster glasses. No, that's the only glasses they had in 1965. <coughs> I've got kind of a Don Draper thing going. I've got a madman thing going on. We're all smoking, it's 1965. But Oh yeah, I thought this picture. I have another picture of me that um, you know my parents didn't have much money, but we had two TVs, so Dad could watch two football games at once. <laughs> yes, as I said, he did everything intensely. Okay. So my brother and my sister, Dan and Stephanie, um, they may be carriers, they may not be. We don't know. They're, they're, they're phenotypically normal. And their kids could carry the allele, assuming, that they, assuming they do. So there's Dan on the right, the top, my Juno award-winning brother. And at the bottom, there, there's my sister, Steph, and her husband, Andrew. And now they, they've got an extra kid now. So, I mean, these are older pictures. These are like 10-year-old pictures. We did these for like my grandmother's 85th birthday as she turned 95. He's should 10 years old. How do you get an extra? they had another one. <laughs> <laughs> had to get You don't know how babies, how was Babby formed? What a hand of another kid.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's an extra, it's a spare. You know, you never know. If Aiden or Logan don't work out, they got Landon. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, you have to know, and the only way they would, my brother or my sister would know if they carried it, is if they married, well, married, had sex with it, made it, you know, had a child with it, because my brother and sister, that's such a weird thing to say, um, with, with someone who also was a carrier. So Oh, and skip All kinds of generations, yeah. Because what happens is, um, we've been, lo- we look back, we did we genetic counseling when we were the first kid, that curiosity. It was like, will something like We're doing this happening again? And Isabel said that I think she had an aunt, like that five steps away, kind of thing, that they think might have been. And I think I have an aunt, uh, probably a great great aunt, that probably happened. Um, that's where, at least on that's on my dad's side. I don't know. No one knows where it comes from on my mom's side. So, just sitting there dormant basically because it doesn't get expressed. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So my kids carry the allele if they have to. Because uh, they get a little A from me, and they must have got a big A from Isabel because they're phenotypically normal. And you can see them there, older picture of Maddie there. And John, uh, I weighed like 240 pounds there. Um, most of it apparently hair. Um, <laughs> but they're phenotypically normal. Okay. So what are the behavioral effects of this single gene? Single gene. I don't spend much time in the sun. In fact, I have uh, my eyes have what's called photophobia. Uh, my eyes look away from, from light. I, I can't help that. So much light gets into my eye because there's no pigment in my iris that it's, um, I can't see properly when there's a lot of light. But I don't spend a lot of time in the sun, also because I burn very easily. Um, I have to wear, well, long sleeve shirts typically instead of. But I don't wear. I hate sunscreen. Like I hate it. But I kind of have to wear it, or I'll die. So, I had third degree burns from the sun on July Fourth, nineteen seventy six. Yeah. <coughs> I was back before there was sunscreen, or you could get it, but you could only get it with a prescription. <laughs> You can could, you could smoke anywhere, <laughs> right? But you can't get sunscreen. And we were in the States. We were in Maine. and We didn't have the doctor's note thing. And it was July 4th. And it was all fun. We were out at the beach. And, and I got, uh... my whole back was a blister. It's been, I've had a lot of those. Those are great. Um, I don't get them anymore because I wear sunscreen. But I have to wear like 60, and I have to put it on every hour. I put it on every hour. Right? So that's and that's a behavioral effect, and it's purely caused by a gene by a single gene, isn't it? I have very poor vision. My vision is twenty two hundred, which is ten percent normal acuity. Okay, Um, I'm legally blind as I was telling I told you guys before with my glasses on. Melanin. One of the things it does is during development it guides the growth of the visual system. So it guides the optic nerves um, back to the back to the thalamus, etc it also guides the growth of the muscles in my eyes, in anybody's eyes. And Because I don't have any. Because I don't have any. It didn't grow properly. So what happens is I have a, uh, the cones and rods in your eye. You know the cones are distributed mostly in your fovea right in the middle of your visual field? Mine aren't. Mine are randomly distributed throughout my retina. So because of that, I don't have the same acuity you do. I don't see the same amount of detail that you do. I can't. I basically see in standard definition, and you guys see in HD. That's not a bad analogy, except it's more like I see in SD, and you see in, like, 4K, the next step after HD. Yeah, Theoretically, if you could give a developing child who Who had albinism, if if you could give them, like, melanin supplements, would they be able to? You'd have to know exactly what the concentrations were going to be at every single moment of development. Okay. Yeah, one day probably that that will be a treatment. But the other thing is that this isn't this disorder isn't something people are looking big time to treat because it's not life threatening, right? This isn't like, or, and it's not lifestyle threatening horribly. You know, it's not. It, it doesn't affect my cognitive uh, abilities. It doesn't affect my mobility. Uh, so it's not something that people, I think the first steps, I'd rather they worked on things like MS and autism and things that, you know, do really kind of seriously affect people a lot more. But yeah, that'll come. That'll come. You know. You're not allowed to drive, right? No. I don't have the of vision. So I see in 2D, not 3D. I actually can't. You know the whole thing about, all oh, 3D movies that work for me, they don't work for me either because they can't. Um, because there are cells in your occipital lobe and we'll talk about this later in the course that <clears throat> detect how the uh, disparity of your retina so of, your, uh, of the images of your retina detect how uh, turned in your eyes are to, 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 to apprehend depth um, if they don't fire by the time you're about two they just die well mine didn't because mine can't focus on anything my eyes, if you ever look at my eyes are always moving back and forth. It's called their the segments. They move back and forth like that because they're just trying to focus on something and they can't. So my eyes just shake back and forth all the time. Apparently they stop when I'm really drunk. <laughs> right um, the interesting thing is, by the way, my, my brain writes it, so it's it's not like it's always doing that. Though if I close my eyes, I can. And you don't know, get the after images from the lights; they're all over the place. But looking at you guys, it's not like you're moving around. That's kind of interesting. Um, so because of that, I don't have binocular vision. So therefore, I can't drive a car. For a purely genetic reason, I can't drive a car. I have driven a car once. Um, once. Just after we got our car. And Maddie was in the back seat of this car seat. And she was about six months old. And we went the where they test you in London. Because we lived in London as a post And Isabel said, get out. You're driving down. And I thought, well, sure, I'll give it a try. There's, this is a test course. There's nobody that's a Sunday afternoon. I'll give it a try. And I thought, I play a lot of video games. How hard can this be? <laughs> so I give it a little bit on the accelerator, just a hard, you know, because I don't want to go fast. We're going about 20 like, kilometers now. We're going okay on the turn. I mean, this is a, the only thing I, I didn't know is I did, I, well, I thought brakes were digital. <laughs> I think they were analogs. I just spin the brakes on. <laughs> <laughs> We're all falling over the place. That's the one time I broke. And one other time, Isabel was away for a long time, for like a month. And I said, it was raining, and I wanted to go to the corner store to get milk. And it was just a little bit of rain. But it was like, she's right there. The car's actually back. in. I have to just drive out? When I get the Max, I can go around like that. And I really, really better not do this. But I came very close. I all I had the key, and I was going, I think, there's no one on the road in the suburbs. I'm struggling in the middle of the road. <laughs> you know? And then the cop will say, can I see your driver's license? Don't have one. Not a blind card. You know, so i like, I'm sure that would have turned out okay. Um, I'm not very good at baseball. For a purely genetic reason, I, I can't play baseball right now. Right? So, that's a joke. Though I will say probably that my my disability actually made me do certain things that other kids wouldn't have done. I read the encyclopedia by the time I was seven. read an atlas. read the dictionary. I did stuff like that because there were certain things I just couldn't do. Um, So that's all purely a genetic reason that's affected my nervous system and my behavior. And it's a single gene that doesn't make an enzyme. So it's really couple of steps, but I mean, that's all purely a genetic reason. Uh, does anybody have any questions about this disorder I have? It doesn't embarrass me to answer them. And I know people often have questions, so if you have them, you can ask them right now. It doesn't bother me in the least. So for the light, yeah. the light that like, you can have an inversion or whatever, is that just sunlight, or is it light. every light? light. Oh. I don't like bright lights. I'm <laughs> um, a lot less like that than most people that have this disorder. Most people that have this disorder actually wear dark glasses. Would they be able to look at computer screens? Like just I like do them? that all, all day. Just, yeah, uh, no, but. Uh, yeah, so that I mean. Time with I guess I probably do. One of the reasons that I use uh, a Mac actually is because it's so easy to zoom in. That oh, okay. I can just go like that and it zooms completely. But that's something I really like. Um, but, yeah, the light thing, I mean, from computer screens, I do like, like things bright because it's easier to see, but yeah, it can get to me. Yes, please. So, how would you figure out like a depth perception? Well, I do it like this. Like, she's in f- her. The image of hers is in front of her. So unless there's somehow she's cut out, like that, she's got to be in front of her. And your image is much smaller and a your head. Your image is much smaller <laughs> than you, so you must be far away. In fact, most most uh, depth cues we have as humans are actually monocular. But I don't have depth perception at all. Like I don't have real three D. If I, you know, like most of you guys, if you close one eye, the world goes into two D. Like, you know, like the depth goes out of the world? Not with me. It all looks the same. It all looks like a really poorly shot movie. <laughs> For me. For me. It's like some kind of shitty art film from a student. Kind of shady. That's also, you might notice, why sometimes when I'm looking at something, my head will shake a little bit. Because what's happening there is, to keep my eyes still, my, my head, and I'm not doing this on purpose, my head's moving so the image stays stable. It's not something I can't help but do. It just happens. I know it looks a little silly, but I kind of got over caring about that. I'm 47 years old. I used to care about things like that. It was a long time ago. Other questions? I don't think I said I don't want to answer them because it's, I know they're personal, but that's. I don't care. What do fireworks look like? I'm sorry? What do fireworks look like? Well, it's, so, see, it's a problem. I can't explain to you what it's like for you to see. You can't explain to me what it's like for we have no problem, The only thing I can tell you is I have a rough idea of how you see by watching what it looks like through a camera in a movie attention. Because you can focus on things, right? And if you focus on one thing, other things like This is true, right? Other things high to focus. Is that true? It doesn't happen. Right? Nothing's blurry. Stuff just isn't there. Uh, you can read, I'll give you an idea. I wrote the slides. It's kind of a lame, but oh, I, I know. I didn't write what's on Twitter. That's perfect. Okay, uh, I will go up to the far screen here, and I'll tell you when I can actually clearly read the second one down. Okay. You guys can read that? I, mean, I think it's like Zach. Okay, shh. I don't know what it says I know. I know it's probably from Zach. because He often quotes. Okay. <laughs> no, it's actually it's from Alexander. Is that you? Yeah. No, I'm not. And we can't associate spatial navigation and memory, can we? So spatial navigation so it takes that, I have to get that close so yeah I, it's so hard for me to explain but whereas I can watch a TV show and when it's done from like a POV like perspective and they show somebody being able to see what's written on a blackboard and I can go oh that's what that's like but I can't explain to you except by showing you things like like I guess I wrote that slide so it's pretty, it's pretty bad but I mean like let's see. Like you can probably read that whereas for me, so I that I just make things that's the beauty of technology now is that I actually can use something like this because I just have to even though I, if you've ever seen the <laughs> check my feeds. Other questions about it? Just like I said, it doesn't embarrass me or anything. I don't care. Right. There was a time when it did, but I kind of got over it. I kind of got over it when they started calling me Dr. Brodbeck. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. Here's another cool example. Mutant hamsters. general. Doesn't that already sound cool? Um, that's not a good looking hamster. something wrong with him, right? He looks a little dandroid. Well, he's got a genetic defect uh, that was discovered by Martin Ralph, who's an old uh, friend of mine. Um, Marty was on my PhD committee, actually. And he was breeding hamsters. And then he found these hamsters that well, he isolated, he found an interesting behavior. We'll talk about in a second. This is from a gene he, he labeled the tau gene. If you have big T, big T, big T, you have a normal 24-hour cycle if you're a hamster. If you have little T, little T, you have a 20-hour cycle. A 20-hour internal clock, not 24 hours. And if you have big T, little T, it's partial dominance you have a 22-hour cycle. As you can see, this doesn't show up in the wild because if it did, you just die. You would you wouldn't last because the what with the Earth's rotation and all, twenty four hours is what you need. Twenty just won't cut it. It's not good enough. Twenty two isn't good enough. Need twenty four. Right.
0: Okay.
1: So he's found this these hamsters that have this genome, and in fact, he isolated the gene. He did this when he was in graduate school. Um, It ended up doing okay. He published it. It's a little journal. I think it's called Nature. So these hamsters, this is a single gene effect. Again, a single gene effect, but it's affecting something as complicated as the animal's ability, its circadian clock, its ability to keep track of time. And this affects brain development. Specifically, it affects an area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the SCN. Just remember SCN. What the SCN does is it's a clock. It tells you when to get up, it tells you when to go to sleep. It sets it gets set and reset through visual input from light. The sun rises. So what they end up having is an SCN, the SCN's cool, it pulses, the neurons pulse. Just like uh, pop. But the SCN in a mutant has a 20-hour cycle, not a 24-hour cycle. You take the SCN out of a mutant and drop it into a, a normal or a wild type, as you say in genetics, hamster, you end up with now a hamster that has a 20-hour cycle. So it's really just affecting this one part of the brain as far as the timing goes. Pretty amazing. There's probably other cognitive effects as well. Uh, Timing is so important in a whole bunch of things, in cognition and memory in general, that it seems pretty clear then that it's going to affect Um, other stuff. So these hamsters then, the cool thing, first of all, single gene effect. Partial dominance, not full dominance recessive. And finally, it's affecting this this one brain region that is a clock, and you can take the clock out of one animal, put it in another, and change their their circadian rhythm. Change your circadian rhythm. And he had to breed these. Uh, it was just dumb luck that he found these. Like you won't find these in the wild because they wouldn't last. They wouldn't last. Question about that? Yeah, go ahead. Is it the same? Is it- so gene, yeah. So I don't know. Which is right. No, it's not the same as that. No. no, that I know it's the same. Yeah, the um, I know it's coding for something with the SCN, but I don't know what. And we'll talk more about this. But there's something cool that this gene does, and similarities to other genes that deal with timing in other animals, so it's pretty cool. Other stuff? Shall we meet again? Let's say Thursday? (laughs) Thursday.